Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome to Drop Pass Podcast, my guy. As we kick off the episode, I need to congratulate the Vegas Golden Knights for winning the first Stanley Cup of their history after absolutely dominating postseason performance. They left little to no room for any speculation and are a great example for the newer teams of the league of what you can actually achieve in a short amount of time if you are just willing and bold enough to make sacrifices in order to have a chance at winning something special. So once more, congrats to the Golden Knights and all their supporters. Today's agenda will focus on the two teams that were involved in the final battle for the Lord Stanley and, like last week, we will go over their entire 22-23 NHL campaign and also cover the most important factors from the playoffs and final series, meaning players and events that led to the championship part. Also, we have a new set of headlines to go over, so those will be on the spotlight right after the intro, but before we start to crank up the music, I have to tell you that next week is going to be another bye week due to the fact that it's going to be a big holiday weekend here in Finland, so I'm off to spend some quality time with my close ones, which will leave you guys without a pre-draft episode, but I will promise you that we will go over the draft events and the top prospects the following week so that you can get a sense of what exactly happened and who drafted who, because I'm pretty sure that we are about to witness a crazy busy weekend. But that's the cross-section of today's show, I've talked enough already, so leave a rating for the podcast on Spotify and press the blue button on IG under the handle the drop underscore pass to show your support for the show. It is very much appreciated, so thank you. And now, let's get the intro out of the way so that we can get to the core of the cup finals. So without further ado, let's get... It is officially over and this feeling reminds me a lot of the last day of annual summer vacation like you know there's a lot of grinding ahead of you but at the same time you are a little bit excited to see some of your coworkers and to get back on the grindstone if you actually happen to enjoy what you do. But all in all what I can say is that this year's postseason was very close to the excitement level of last year's playoffs even though before the whole season started I thought that it wasn't even possible but as the season progressed and we began to witness the arms race between the top teams I started to wonder if that was in fact going to be attainable. And now that we've seen everything it had to offer I can confess that I was very pleased by the end product and fully enjoyed the battles of each conference until the final whistle. We saw lots of drama, few hero stories and overall exciting games on nightly basis and there ended up being just a few series that left a bitter taste in my mouth so even though my predictions ended up being way out of whack I totally enjoyed this year's playoff run and feel that I learned a lot when watching games from a more analytical standpoint without, of course, forgetting the fan aspect of it all. And now when looking back at it, my favorite matchups ended up probably being the Boston versus Florida, Toronto versus Tampa, and Dallas versus Minnesota from the first round, 
Vegas versus Edmonton, and Dallas versus Seattle from the second, plus Vegas versus Dallas from the third round, in addition to, of course, the final battle. So, in conclusion, I ended up enjoying more the Western matchups than the East, and more than likely the series lengths had something to do with that, where we saw more one-sided series in the East this year, which was somewhat surprising since my initial thought was that we would have seen more Game 7s in the later rounds given the on-paper marginal differences, but as teams start to gain 2 and 3 to nothing series leads, we start to see teams getting eliminated in a very quick fashion. And what also surprised me was the fact that how much scoring we ended up actually seeing, which led to many goaltenders getting pulled within games. So, at least in my mind, that was something that brought some extra to these matchups, especially after watching Liga playoffs with three or four goal games on nightly basis. Officiating was honestly the major glaring minus in this year's postseason, and although it got a bit better the further the playoffs progressed, it still wasn't on a level I would hope officiating being in the playoffs, where we saw lots of extremely questionable and soft calls, especially during the first and second round, which ended up even deciding singular games, which certainly should never be the case when series are on the line, so in that sense, I would hope that the NHL addresses this issue and we get to see more lenient line being drawn for next year's playoff run because the players are ready to go above and beyond during this stage of the hockey season so the officiating should be in line with it. Because even a small change in the momentum can kill a team's chances so if officiating becomes a factor within a game, the spotlight has shifted to a completely wrong aspect at least in my eyes so. My wish for the NHL for next year's postseason is to reel back the strictness because players have to be responsible for their own actions. And some of the policing already falls on the players themselves, so don't make it a game-changing aspect next year. Please and thank you. Some teams felt this way harder than others and it's sad to see because it really tempers with momentum of a single series and when the cup is on the line, there's no room for that, so... That is going to be the only major flag I'm going to give to the NHL when it comes to playoffs, but other than that, pure diamonds all the way through, so thank you for bringing the entertainment once again, and hopefully we get to see similar action during next year's postseason as well, because like I said, these past two years have been some of the best postseason hockey that I've ever got to witness, so hopefully they could take advantage of that and start to spread the game's message to bigger crowds, since they're really isn't anything quite like it, like the playoffs once again showed us. So all in all, extremely entertaining postseason once again. The crowds really made it extra special, and especially the home crowd in Vegas during the finals almost blew the lid off of T-Mobile Arena, so hats off to Knights fans whose home barn was truly an absolute gladiator arena when you combine the crowd with the home team itself. But more about the cup final later on, next we head to burning headlines of the NHL and today's setting will feature topics such as few new cabinet changes, one major contract extension plus buyout, few trade rumors in addition to the game of musical chairs between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Pittsburgh Penguins. So first let's start from the player front since just last week the New Jersey Devils inked their agile winger Jesper Brad to an 8-year contract extension carrying a 7.875 million annual value, which was probably a sum that was circling around the negotiation table already last year before Brad signed his one-year bridge deal. 
Currently, it is expected that the team and Timo Meyer will also head to contract arbitration due to salary dispute, but despite it, the belief is that both parties want to find a long-term resolution to the case that would keep him in Newark for more than five years. And if they end up finding this solution from the negotiation table, it could mean that the Devils end up making some moves in the offseason since they still have guys like Luke Hughes and Dawson Mercer to worry about in the coming years who more than likely are going to ask quite a massive raises. So long-term thinking is critical here before those cases actually start hitting Fitzgerald's desk next summer and the one after it. But when it comes to Brad's deal, in my books this was another one of those steel deals since, believe it or not, he has scored more points than guys like Larkin, Ovechkin, Hintz, Aho, Barkov and Brady Kachuk in the last two seasons, and is making significantly less than all those guys. So now that he has proved that he can keep up his scoring numbers during the regular season, he has to focus on delivering in the postseason because this year's performance wasn't quite up to par in relation to where the expectations currently are. So if the Devils want to compete for the Cup in the next coming years, he needs to take a leadership role on that lineup and produce offensively because he will be part of this core for years to come. Back-to-back 73-point campaigns is terrific, but I feel that there's still something left in the tank, especially if he gets to play alongside Jack Hughes. So win-win deal for the both parties in my mind, but certainly he and the fans know what this means when looking at the future, and that is continuous production and major focus on delivering during the final stretch of the hockey season itself. Then we head to British Columbia, whose front office staff are more than likely huge fans of the show, because just a few days ago they announced that they had bought out Oliver Ekman Larsen's contract, just as I had told them in one of the previous episodes. So I ask you if I should add a title, special advisor to the GM of the Vancouver Canucks to my LinkedIn profile, NCV. Can you imagine if I was somehow actually linked to the team and worked as an undercover halves fan just to fool you guys? And was actually the right-hand man for their GM, Patrick Alvin. That would be pretty funny, but actually I've had few listeners from Western Canada, so we can just make an agreement between me and you that I have my fingers in this decision, but remember to not tell anyone else. But yeah, like I said, this should have happened already last year, but... When your back is against the wall, you are forced to make decisions, and that time was now, so it didn't surprise me one bit, and this is more than likely just the start when it comes to reshaping of the core of the Canucks, so expect to see many more changes within the next coming months. And when it comes to OEL's performance in BC, and what they gave up when acquiring him, I can confidently say that this has been one of the worst deals of their history since... They gave up a 2021 ninth overall pick in the deal, in addition to final years of Louis Eriksson's, Jay Beagle's, and Antoine Roussel's contracts who didn't even end up playing more than a handful of games for the Yotes. So you basically could have just buried their contracts to your books without any cap problems. And I mentioned this during the trade breakdown. Meanwhile, in exchange, they obtained OEL and Connor Garland from Arizona who both might not even be part of the organization before the next NHL season kicks off. So... Another terrific deal by Jim Benning, if I can say so myself. And to add insult to injury, that number nine pick ended up being right-handed goal scorer Dylan Ganther. So I think they could have used a player of his kind in this retooling process. But it is what it is. 
Penning is no longer there to orchestrate these sorts of deals and as I alluded, they are currently also trying to get rid of Garland's contract to alleviate some cap room, so we'll see how bad this deal could eventually turn out once we learn if they can find anyone who would be willing to take on his contract, and if so, it could end up coming with a cost called a draft pick, so in the worst case, they could end up giving up two rather high draft picks just to get rid of those three contracts. And honestly, the best part would be if they shipped him back to Arizona, because then I could gladly label Benning's legacy as one of the most ridiculous GM tenures in the modern NHL. And the last headlines concerning NHL players are linked to trade rumors and more specifically names Alex DeBrinket, Victor Olafsson, Blake Wheeler, Ryan Graves, Kellen Addison, plus Phyllis Quadruplet of Travis Konechny, Scott Lawton, Tony D'Angelo, and Kevin Hayes. Last week we learned that the Sens and the Brinkett more than likely were headed to contract arbitration as well following Ottawa's ownership saga and due to it, their management has started to look around the league for possible returns for a sign and trade kind of deal or even his complete signing rights. Late last week though, Ottawa announced that Hamilton Bulldogs' majority owner and a former Habs minority owner, Michael Andlauer, had bought the Senators for around $950 million, becoming the new owner of the Ottawa's NHL franchise. Which honestly creates a question if Cat could be persuaded back to signing with the team now that we know that the owner saga won't continue any further. Because that, according to rumors, was the main aspect holding him back, and it goes without saying that the Sens would like to sign Cat with a reasonable price tag if actually the relationship between the player and the team isn't too inflamed following the drama that has been going on throughout the entire calendar year. But in case he gets dealt, expect to see the Sens receiving a decent price for his services due to a current state of available players. But the Senators still have until July 1st to make moves if necessary, so. Don't be surprised if they end up pulling the lever rather quickly, given the current market price for these types of point machines. Victor Olofsson had requested a trade out of Buffalo after the season ended, so his name could come up rather soon as well if a team sees him as a viable middle six scoring option. And for example, Edmonton has been one of the teams suggested to be after him. Whereas Winnipeg's former captain Blake Wheeler has lately been surrounded with trade and buyout rumors, so we'll see if his days in the true north end up being counted following another disappointing playoff run with the team. Ryan Graves is another name that has been highlighted in the trade rumors due to his UFA status, and when taking into account the current offering of free agent blue liners, he could end up being one of the names that gets a fat paycheck sometime during this summer. While Walt's GM Bill Guerin keeps on trying to work out their cap mess, and most recently, their RFA defenseman's Kale Addison's name has appeared on the trade board, so we'll see if the smooth skating blue liner ends up continuing his career somewhere else after this summer. And lastly, as one could expect, the Philadelphia Flyers have been a team that has caught a lot of interest after their season came to its end. And since their GM already announced that the rebuild was officially about to start, more season names such as Lawton, Hayes, Konechny and D'Angelo have appeared on the headlines, so I would at least anticipate seeing two or three of those names being out of town by the end of the summer, if the right price ends up appearing, because I can tell you for sure that at this stage, the only guy their coach, John Tortorella, wouldn't like to see leaving his lawn, but when it comes to those other three names, I think he couldn't care less, because he knows the team is going to stink of shit next year again, so 
My prediction is that at least two names of those four will start their season somewhere else, but we'll see what kind of a fire sale they end up setting up. So those names have appeared on the trade rumors most recently and all marks lead towards an extremely busy offseason, so let's hope that we actually don't get cucked and we get to witness a crazy offseason full of trades and drama because like you can probably tell, I'm expecting one of the busiest offseasons that we've seen in the 21st century because last year already showed that modern teams are not afraid to make changes to boost their odds of winning the Stanley Cup in this summer. Next though, we have some updating to do when it comes to teams front offices and benches since I totally forgot to update you on Calgary's situation. So now we are going to cover both bases, given that they announced the name of their new head coach and also appointed their new GM a couple weeks back. So in a nutshell, their former captain Greg Conroy was named as the new general manager of the organization, while their assistant coach Ryan Huska became Daryl Sutter's successor behind their bench. Conroy, as we know, has seen lengthy history from the NHL where he has won two Selka trophies during his 16-season stay at the top level and has racked up over a thousand games to his name from the jail, so he knows his business when it comes to on-ice action. And since 2010, he's been with the organization first as a special assistant to GM and from 2014 until last week worked as an assistant general manager alongside Brad Tree Living so. Now he has experience on both sides of the coin, which is never a bad thing for a GM, at least in my eyes. Now though, he steps into his big shoes and starts to guide this team towards cup contention again. And as his first move, he appointed another former NHL, Ryan Huska, as the new head coach of the Flames, who has been a coach since 2002 when he first started his coaching journey in Kelowna. After a few years as an assistant, he was moved to a head coaching position and ended up winning the Memorial Cup back in 2004 with the Rockets. And in 2014, he was once again dragged up the rankings as he was appointed as the head coach of the Flames farm team at Irondack Flames. But ever since 2018, he's been the assistant coach of the Flames. So for once, a team decided to hire within and he becomes the 19th head coach of the storied franchise. Both guys have seen a lot when it comes to NHL hockey, so in that sense, these moves give me some confidence when it comes to Calgary's future trajectory, but at the end of the day, it is going to be on the players to make this thing work out, but like we know, their entire locker room started to become almost poisonous at the end of Sutter's regime, so I have a strong belief in their capability to bounce back and wouldn't be surprised if Conroy decided to stay put and trust his corkers next year. He will have his hands full as nine players become free agents, if not signed before free agency, period. Noah Hannifin has been the main name in the trade circles for them, and since his current deal is coming to its end at the end of next season, I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up packaging him in a deal this summer to alleviate some cap space, because if Oliver Shillington is finally ready to get back on the ice, he will more than likely take his spot in their top four, so... It's going to be interesting to see what Conroy's vision is going to be and if he will be willing to trust his current group of players plus their promising prospects such as Matt Coronado, Jacob Pelletier, Walker Dewar, Connor Zari, Jeremy Poirier and even Matthias Emilio Petersen who had a fantastic season point-wise in the AHL. Also, Dustin Wolf made his first impression on the NHL ice, so is he going to stay with the big club or... Is another minor's call about to happen, which, 
at least in my eyes, would be absolutely idiotic since the guy has been a goalie of the year four years straight now. First twice in the WHL and now back-to-back titles in the AHL. So if they don't end up moving on from Vladar, I would assume that he will be their backup next year because it's going to be a waste of time to keep him in the minors despite the fact that goalies tend to develop slower than skaters when it comes to NHL readiness. So with all that said, at least for me, there's a lot to like about when it comes to these two new names in their helm. So definitely, I'm going to keep my eyes on their progress and report back to you once we see what the actual matter of approach is going to be when starting to head towards the new NHL season. And speaking of change, we also ended up witnessing some in Toronto, New York and Pittsburgh. As legendary Yotes forward, Shane Doan was appointed as a special advisor to the GM for the Leafs. Jason Spezza ended up following Kyle Dubis' footsteps to Pittsburgh. And finally, the Rangers appointed former Capitals coach Peter Laviolette as the new head coach of their organization. Spezza was named as the assistant general manager and like expected followed his buddy Dubas to Pittsburgh so now those two get to fulfill their lifelong dream as they start to build up the pens again towards cup contention so we'll see how that endeavor ends up going. Whereas Shane Doan strengthens the new Leafs front office with his experience and expertise and will assist the new general manager Brad Treleving in his duties but if you ask me what those might be I have no idea but at least now they have names in there that actually have been around the NHL for some time and understand hockey better than many others. So cautious optimism should be the manner of approach for the Leafs fans. But as we know, it's either full in or full out. So who am I to tell how Leafs fans should perceive the situation? Because it's life or death for those guys each year. Their favorite players lace up the skates. And finally... As I mentioned, Peter Laviolette continues his NHL journey as the new bench boss of the New York Rangers, and so far, he's destroyed the hopes of three other Metro team fan bases, so why not add one more to the list as well? We are fully aware that he's been in the league since year 2000 and has a Stanley Cup to his name, but recently his value has started to drop due to lack of physical results, so the question is going to be, what can he really bring to their organization? Because he's very similar coach to Gerald Gallant, who just got kicked out of the Big Apple a couple months ago. It's known that he has been able to draw out great results with mediocre rosters and knows how to manage young players. But for example, Washington didn't show at least to me anything special that would make me think that he's going to be the guy to finally bring the cup to New York. And was only appointed because of his long track record from the NHL. He was most likely seen as the best possible option in regards to veteran voices surrounding the NHL, which in the best case could start to change the course of a franchise that now has up and down seasons on their belt when it comes to postseason performances. But my main hope is that he's able to find a way to inject the young guns to more prominent roles and to actually give them more trust because we've pretty much seen in the back-to-back years that during the crunch time they've been the names that have brought the most energy and effort onto the ice. So despite them not celebrating with huge point totals, for example, Kapokako has improved his defensive game by leaps and bounces throughout the past couple of years. So would it really hurt to actually implement him to a more defensive top six role alongside more skilled and offensively oriented guys like Zibanejad, Pnarin, Kreider, and even Vincent Trocek? No, it wouldn't if you were to ask my opinion. And after all, 
they've showed steady progress on the points department as well. And you saw what, for example, K. Andre Miller was able to do when he was thrusted to a top four role with bigger minutes. So that will be my key point of focus when he starts to whip this team back into a contender shape later this year. But those are going to be the newest updates. And next, we will move on to our Stanley Cup final. But just before that, we gotta hear a few words from our show sponsor. But right after that short break, we will start to go over the events and uncover the big talking points of the final series of the NHL campaign. So don't go anywhere. The action will continue after this small power break. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gambling helpline ma.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bits expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash hockey terms. Thank you to DraftKings once again. So we already covered the fact that indeed the Vegas Golden Knights became the newest NHL champion, but they weren't in the finals alone and the entire Florida Panthers squad as well can be pretty damn proud of what they achieved this year, despite missing the big mark by few taps. They made the playoffs as the last team in the entire league, so it's an understatement to say that their season overall was quite a success story when we put all things into perspective. Their entire regular season was rocky as hell and many analysts and professionals around the sport deemed their season as a dud after really struggling out of the gates. But pretty much the symphony changed once we hit the final month of the NHL calendar year and as I mentioned in the finals preview, it wasn't even up to them at that stage if they were going to find themselves from the trophy race at the final stretch. Since the Penguins were ahead of them in the standings, but two losses ended their season and the Cats got to walk to the postseason with just one point difference. During the regular season, they struggled with scoring and more than anything, their defense was less than convincing, featuring throwaway guys in quotations, such as Mark Stoll, Jos Maura and Gustav Forsling, who became crucial parts of their decor down the stretch. Both of their special teams were dreadful throughout the year, which partially became part of their downfall. And pretty much the only guy that consistently found the back of the net and decided tight games with his effort was Matthew Kachuk, who at times took the entire team to his shoulders and dragged them across the finish line when it was needed the most. 
Both Sasha Barkov and Carter Verhege experienced declines in the points department. And additionally, if I would have told you after 41 games that Bob was going to be one of the Smythe trophy favorites, you would have probably blocked me on every social media app, quit listening to the show right at that second and told your buddies that this guy was going insane, but that actually ended up being the truth and things did turn out pretty well for them despite the fact that the entire goaltending situation seemed extremely shaky ahead of the playoffs due to Bob's struggles and Spencer Knight heading to the player assistant program at the back half of the NHL campaign. Alex Lyon, though, stepped up to their crease during the final stretch of games and kept their dream alive by stopping pucks like never before in his career. And honestly, without his heroics, there's no way we would have seen this team in the cup hunt. No way. No how. But eventually, they made their way to the last dance and for that sent a gift basket to Pittsburgh for letting them in and were facing a Himalayan-esque mountain called the Boston Bruins in the very first round who had not just won the President's Trophy, but also had recorded the best regular season in the entire NHL history. So, yeah. The odds were not in their favor when heading to the first round of playoff hockey. And right as the games got going, the Bees fans started to get themselves ready for the second round when they took a convincing 3-1 series lead over the Cats and... It looked like the Bees were going to crush the underdogs in the first round series like many had expected, but the Cats ended up finding their second win of the series in TD Garden, then third on their home ice, and just like that the mojo was on their side, and they had crawled their way back to a tie series, which meant that Game 7 was going to decide the winner of this series. Well, as we now know, they ended up completing the biggest upset of the modern NHL by beating the Bruins in Game 7 and were moving on to face another powerhouse Toronto Maple Leafs who had beat their first-round demons and were pumped to be still in the running for Lord Stanley Trophy. That dream though came to a quick halt after five games and the team that had grabbed the momentum walked over another cup favorite with relative ease if I'm completely honest. And the next up was going to be the conference finals against the Carolina Hurricanes, who had beaten the Young Devil squad in five games as well. And when I say that this series came down to margins, I really mean it since we ended up seeing a game that went all the way to third overtime period before Matthew Kachuk beat Anderson. And overall, three out of four games were decided by just one goal, so the Canes really put the Panthers to the test but were not able to clinch any Ws from their four games and were cruelly swept by the underdogs once more. They straight up bullied teams physically on their way to the final and then it was finally time for the biggest test of them all. The final battle against the Vegas Golden Knights for Lord Stanley, but before we start to unpack that whole sandwich, we might as well uncover the night season which ended in a Stanley Cup, so... The consensus from the start is that this year was a major success, but still, let's recap how their regular season exactly went. So, as I mentioned in the finals episode, the Knights as well faced some adversity this year, and not that surprisingly, some injuries were part of that, as one could have already anticipated. They as well experienced quite a goalie carousel, where five different netminders suited up for them on their way to the Stanley Cup. They added Teddy Bluger, Jonathan Quick and Ivan Barbashev to their lineup at the deadline and Barbashev came up to be one of the main characters of their 2022-2023 story. So, 
hats off to their front office for snagging him to their lineup. But other than that, their roster stayed pretty intact for the entire regular season. And just like in the playoffs, they got contributions all over the lineup. And even minor injuries couldn't hold them back from taking home the top spot in the West at the end of 82 regular season games. No one in their lineup really took off point-wise and no one was even able to reach point-per-game average so the scoring duties divided pretty well between all the members on the ice each night. Whereas the goaltending was solid enough to keep them in tight games with all their netminders rocking over .900 save percentages across the board. And Logan Thompson's terrific rookie campaign begs the question, is Hill and Thompson going to be the tandem going forward or did Hill just become too valuable to hold given his playoff heroics? is a serious question to consider since there are going to be teams pushing to get him locked up and even though money is fairly tight around the league currently. For a goalie that racked up the best save percentage amongst all starters in the postseason should be few dollars on offers so we'll see how the story continues on his part. Their current contract situation is looking fairly decent where the only notable names with UFA statuses are Barbashev who more than likely will test the free agency thanks to his playoff performance, and goaltenders Lauren Brossois and Aiden Hill, in addition to RFA prospect Pavel Dorofeyev, who dressed up in few games for them. So they are in a fairly decent shape, but next year without a doubt will be more challenging on the contract front, so more than likely we see them making few moves this summer as well. But like I said, strong regular season, which was eventually topped off by none other than the Stanley Cup, so... I think there's no reason for too much speculation at the end of the day. And when it comes to their playoff performance, they pretty much ran through their every opponent and flatlined the banged up cat squad in their final matchup. So I think the crowd that criticized them for trading away their original pieces has started to quiet down now because the fact usually is that you won't win any special prizes without making significant sacrifices and their journey ended up being a perfect example of exactly that. Their roster was hands down one of the deepest that I've had a chance to watch which featured amazing combination of skill and size so I'm more than sure that other GMs around the league have also taken notice of that and will start to focus more on trying to reel in guys that can make contributions during the final stretch of the NHL season and to not just show up when the games have less meaning during the darker days of the NHL marathon. So in the first round, they walked the Jets out of the T-Mobile Arena in five games, then beat the Edmonton Oilers in six, but I gotta say that the Oilers were definitely the team that caused them the most headache, which shouldn't surprise anyone given the firepower they possess up top. And finally, before the finals, they disarmed the Stars in six games, which was another tough battle, but when they were on their game, there was only one team on the ice, and that ended up showing in the final scores, so... You could sense their confidence after another dominating effort against the Stars. So finals is the final chapter left on the table and pretty much the domination continued in their final series against the Cats first on home ice and then in the sunny Florida. Florida had lost Ed Lossarinen to an injury he sustained in the final game against the Canes and guys like Aaron Ekblad and Matthew Kachuk could hardly stand on their feet due to their injuries. Meanwhile, Sam Bennett, who had been a real difference maker to that point, had gone completely missing. The first two games in Vegas were complete blowouts with final scores of 5-2 and 7-2. 
before the game started up and the third and fourth matchup were decided by just one goal before heading into game five with Vegas's 3-1 series lead. And in their final matchup, we got to witness once more the pure dominance of their group as they outscored the Panthers 9-3 and lifted the cup at the end of it on their home ice. Like I said previously, this group of players truly was one of the most dominant squads I've ever seen, even how ridiculous that might sound, taking into account that they lack the absolute number one superstar from their team. But when you have guys like Jonathan Marchesso, Jack Eichel, Captain Mark Stone, William Carlson, Playoff phenomenon Ivan Barbashev, Cup champ Alex Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, Aiden Hill even backstopping in the blue paint and probably the best forward line in the NHL. You are almost unstoppable when playing your A game. And that ended up being the case in this year's playoffs where we probably ended up seeing just two so-called off games from them. So needless to say that this team was on the same note throughout the postseason and the result speaks for itself. So... I can't do anything but dip my cap to this achievement. And while I say that, I must acknowledge the guts that the Panthers showed in this year's playoffs since they were considered to be dead in the water already in their first round matchup but ended up battling through multiple cup favorites on their way to the final. So I have to give some credit to their team for both the entertainment as well as the fight they showed during the Hunger Games of the NHL. Their injury list alone is impressive and when you hear the story of how Kachuk's final few game days went, you start to understand the saying, hockey players are different breed. And if you are not aware of the story, let me paraphrase it for you. He broke his sternum in the final series. His brother Brady had to lift him up from a pregame nap while his teammates had to put on some of his gear for him and lace up his skates just to be able to go on the ice. So even when thinking of that, I start to grin. And when you add to that Ekblad's broken foot, which he suffered already in the Boston series, plus two shoulder dislocations spiced up by oblique tears, Redko Gudis's high ankle sprain and Brandon Mentor's torn labrum, you can't but feel for them, and we haven't even heard the injury list from Vegas, so it's safe to say that the playoffs are a totally different ballgame to anything else we get to watch on live TV. But truly you could just see how banged up the Cats were, and even the loss of Etulostrene made a real dent to their game, where they had to shuffle their lines just to keep four lines competitive enough to challenge Vegas's four-line washing machine. And honestly... The downfall of Bobrovsky really insinuated how big the difference ended up being and how easily the Knights were able to manhandle the Cats' defense, which had stood firm to that point. And I don't know if this is the truth, but the guys on Speeding Chicklets brought up a good point where they suggested that ahead of the finals, the Cats were preparing to once more outmuscle and outbattle their opponent without realizing that this wasn't going to be a Toronto-esque skill team or speedy and hardworking Canes team, but a bulky, cohesive and rugged team that they were facing that as well had been somewhat bullying their opponents, especially in their own zone. So. If that is the case, they can easily track back their steps and make adjustments to not repeat that mistake in the future. Also, the break in between the conference finals and the actual cup finals didn't do a lot of good for the Cats since, yes, of course, some guys got some extra rest and recover from the wear and tear, but not that many injuries can be healed in six or so days, so 
when you compare that to not playing extremely intense games which pace you can't replicate in practice, you give some free slack to the opposing team and quite honestly that kinda showed in their first game in which the Knights were ready from the first minute and blew the doors off of Panthers bench so to say so. It more than likely mattered more than many might even expect. And while Bob got little to no help in the other end, Aiden Hill on the other side of the ice got everything that he could have asked for, where every guy on that team was willing to eat the puck and flush it out the next day, if it would have come down to that so. Wally's save percentage might have been boosted thanks to extremely strong defense in front of him. You can't underestimate his value for the team since when you feel that your goalie can pretty much stop every puck that is sent his way. You play with more confidence and you are not so worried about giving away shots and in case you still are willing to throw your body in front of the puck to prevent even a small chance from escalating, you are bound to reach some major goals so it's no wonder why the stats look so good on Vegas side on all fronts. And lastly when it comes to goaltending, I have to say that Hill's goal line stop on Cousins felt like the turning point of the entire series where you could almost feel the camel's back snapping when you realized that you couldn't even tuck home a goal from the goal line. So without a doubt we saw the two best goaltenders in the finals and once again the saying you don't have to stop every puck but the ones that matter hold so Hats off to both of those guys for stepping up and giving their team chance to battle for the brightest trophy in the sport. Also, like I mentioned, Florida's both special teams power play as well as penalty kill were dog shit throughout the year, which didn't help their cause one bit. And honestly, due to their power play struggles, the Knights penalty kill ended up looking like a world-class one, which it wasn't like the Oilers proved, but like we know, the meaning of a good special team increases when we head to postseason, and in this case, it ended up being one of the biggest Achilles heels of the Panthers, and it cost them dearly in the most crucial stage of the hockey season. But when it comes to brighter news, the first thing that comes to mind is without a doubt the stories within the Vegas organization, and more specifically, names Kessel, Martinez, Quick, Eichel, Marchesso, Hill, and Stone. All three, Martinez, Kessel, and Quick joined the glorious three-cup group, whereas Hill followed in Mika Kiprusov's footsteps and became another former Sharks goalie that made the cup finals after being traded away from San Jose during the previous offseason, and in fact even ended up hoisting it at the end of it. So, a somewhat sad story in regards to Sharks organization, but a bright one when it comes to Hill's story from a journeyman to a cup-winning starter goalie. Jonathan Marchessault ended up winning the Consmite Trophy, and he was nominated as the MVP of the playoffs for the second time in NHL's history as an undrafted player, while Jack Eichel became a cup champ after undergoing a risky neck operation and being labeled as a locker room cancer, pretty diva that wouldn't win anything ever and whatnot, plus their captain Mark Stone who got to hoist the cup after two crawling back surgeries that will more than likely draw him away from the rink prematurely. And even according to some rumors, he wasn't even meant to play in the playoffs due to the rehabilitation period. So, when you see how integral part of their win he eventually ended up being, you can't but just tip your cap for this warrior who racked up 24 points in 22 games of playoff hockey. And what makes this even better is the fact that those guys now have a free pass on one of the strip clubs in Vegas. So, 
I bet that at least one or two of those guys are going to use and abuse that privilege to their advantage. And what makes this whole thing just that much more impressive is the fact that their owner Bill Foley called their cup win during the expansion draft when he said that their aim was to be in the playoffs in three years, which they already checked off during their inaugural season, and then to win the cup in six years. So call it rigged or whatever, but without a doubt, this is the most impressive Stanley Cup win from an expansion draft in the modern NHL era. And of course, the new expansion rules enable this to happen, but you can't take anything away from them because, like I said, they made sacrifices to build this team and were close to claiming the cup already once, so I think they deserve it. And hats off also to their management who made this dream possible with their ballsy moves. So that's pretty much the quick run through of their seasons and the Stanley Cup finals itself. And although the finals ended up being more lopsided than what many could have anticipated, I have to address the fact that how dominant the Knights were throughout the playoffs. So I think they would have mopped the Canes just as easily, so in my eyes they were hands down the most dominant team in this year's playoffs, even how obvious that might sound, but it isn't always the case like we've seen during the previous few Stanley Cup battles. But with that said, we are pretty much done with this one. Once more, congrats to the entire Vegas squad, its supporters, staff, and anyone involved. Despite the fact that we didn't quite get the ending I think this season would have deserved. It was entertaining all the way from the offseason to the Stanley Cup celebrations, so hopefully this trend continues in the upcoming offseason and we can start to get geared up for another dramatic NHL campaign. Thank you for coming along. This obviously also marks the end of the so-called season 2 of the podcast itself, so give yourself a nice pat on the back for sticking with me and for supporting the show by listening to me rambling each week. Thank you so much for stopping by and supporting the show. Honestly, right now I feel a bit drained given all the hockey I've digested within the past two months, so I think this sprint was worth it and the summer comes by at the perfect time, so you as well remember to enjoy the sun and focus on relaxing whenever you can. Hopefully you enjoyed. Like I said, next week there won't be any uploads, but for the first week of July I aim to build up the draft episode, which I promise, so... We'll see how massive that episode ends up being, but regardless, thank you for stopping by. Check out all the links from the description and remember to rate the podcast on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever it's called nowadays, because it helps the show to grow tremendously. And if you've done that already, I thank you for your gesture and wish you very, very pleasant and happy rest of the week. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.